I'm so thankful tonight to be part of an unshakable kingdom. Anybody else say amen? Uh, though life uh, tries to shake us, uh, we're not part of this kingdom down here. We're part of an unshakable kingdom. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you back to the book of Acts in the very first chapter. And what we're going to do is pick up right where we left off. That be all right with y'all? Hey, how many of you got a nap today? Raise your hand if you honor. Hey, wow. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Look at that, would you? Uh, you on, let me just say this to you. You honored God by taking a nap. Did you know that? Uh, I'm serious. He, he wants you to rest. And, and, man, thank you for doing that. And, golly, that's our, that is our greatest percentage, I believe, that we've had over all these years. So I want to encourage you. Put that on your schedule uh, to make sure that you're getting a nap, you're getting rest. Um, God, that honors God. And so please do that. And make, make Sunday a day that you just set aside to worship and rest. And you're back tonight, our first Sunday night together. In 2023, I'm, I, at first I was looking at just a few people. I'm like, uh-oh, it's going to be kind of hard to get the fire stoked back up. Um, but y'all, come on in. Look at you. Came on in. And uh, I want to encourage you to testify of Sunday night gatherings to people, all right? And word of mouth is the best way to kind of stir the heart up. So share with people your experience on how God speaks to you and how we get together again on Sunday night. And God, he takes Sunday morning, Sunday night, sets the tone for the rest of the week. Uh, by the way, Sunday's the first day of the week. Did you know that? And so this is where God will help settle the tone in our heart, set the tone in our heart. Acts chapter 1, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse number 9. Verse number 9. We asked uh, two important questions this morning. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you remember us looking at that and talking about that? And we talked about when it is that you receive the Holy Spirit. Does anybody remember when that is? When you believe, right? You were sealed. Colossians 1.13, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, the guarantee of our faith. And, and then we talked about a second question, and the second question was, does he have you? And we talked about what it means to be being filled, Ephesians, right? Be being filled, constantly being filled by the Holy Spirit. And we said because we leak a little bit, and really truth is it's all about surrender. And, you know, I've learned this about me and you. We can be fully surrendered one minute and not so surrendered the next, have you noticed that about me and you? I mean, we, we, we have the capacity to do that. Um, and aren't you thankful in the midst of that truth that God is gracious and kind to meet us and love us and help us get past that? Aren't you glad? Uh, what if he just every time that you and I weren't, he just zapped us, smoked us? We'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? We'd be in an empty room. Um, so tonight I want to dive back into where we looked at this morning. The title of our message tonight is More Than Good Intentions. Have good intentions ever gotten you into trouble when you didn't follow through? Anybody can say that you've had some good intentions before that you didn't see all the way through to the finish line? <clears throat> I can remember my grandfather saying to me, uh, good intentions are of no value unless you accomplish the thing you set out to intended to do. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, that used to sting when I was a little boy. I didn't understand that completely and uh, still learning that now. But honest to goodness, good intentions are of no value if you don't accomplish the thing you intended now, let me just kind of relate that back to what we looked at this morning. What is the intent of God giving us? Now, I'm going to add, this is a question for you, okay? What was the purpose? Why did he give us his spirit? It was in the title. It was in the main idea of this morning's message. Why did he give us his Holy Spirit? Somebody help me. To help us. To help us what? Live. God, oh, y'all just made my day. I was very afraid of how that was going to go because you got a good nap. <laughs> but you, you reached all the way back there and, and reminded, that's it. Uh, the reason he gave us the Holy Spirit is because we have a mission to live out, and the mission is difficult. Uh, we're fallen, and we're living in a fallen world, so it's a difficult mission. Uh, so he gave us uh, and, uh, the Holy Spirit to help us, and now I'll say it, it's a fixed fight. Uh, we can't lose. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. 
And the, 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 it's unfair. I'm just telling you, it's unfair. It's a very unfair mission. He's given us all the resources we need to live it. It's just unfair. He shouldn't have. He should have said, y'all figure it out on your own. Try harder. But he didn't do that. He said, here's my spirit, and I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to call you to an impossible mission, but I'm going to give you the spirit to give you everything you need to help you along the way. Uh, so tonight we're going to pick up in verse number nine. Y'all with me? All right, would you, now I know you've gotten a good nap, so I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet, all right, get that blood flowing, and let's read in honor, and, and we're not just standing to stand, we're standing in a symbolism that we're not reading the comic book or the newspaper or any other information article, we're reading from the Word of God. Uh, so we're standing in honor. Would you join me as we read Acts 1, beginning in verse number 9, and what I'd like to read down through is verse number 14. Is that okay with you guys? All right, here we go. Look with me back in verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. <clears throat> what was the last thing that he said? Does anybody remember? Verse 8, you shall receive power, not power to leap buildings, not to have laser beams shoot from your eyes, um, but that you shall receive power to be something, witnesses. And we said this morning, the value of a witness is found in their testimony, they're testifying, all right, of witnesses of no value if they don't testify. And so he's just said that to them, and then he begins to be taken up in a cloud. Okay, verse number 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up in heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, the Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord, how? In prayer. Now, uh, this is not the message for tonight, but I want you to be reminded that prayer is the work. Uh, we, begin, we, we think sometimes that the mission, the actual work we do with our hands and feet and mouths is the work, but really prayer is the work, all right? It's why it stirs my heart to see people up at this altar ahead of our worship gatherings. That's where the work's done. That's the engine that, that drives everything God does. So uh, participate in that if you can, all right? Uh, then, <clears throat> then what he says is they one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, okay? Let's pause for just a quick word of prayer. Will you bow with me for just a minute? Can you take a deep breath with me just as deep as you can? And then exhale. Now, as you still yourself before the Lord, ask him to speak to you tonight. Ask him to give you an energy and an excitement for what he's about to say to you. Ask him tonight to cause you to sit on the front edge of your seat, hanging on every word he wants to speak and use and transform you into the image of his son. Would you do this? Would you ask him to help me? Ask him to help me with my weaknesses and all my inadequacies and my rambling mind. Would you pray the Holy Spirit of God would help me now to preach this word with clarity and such a way that my words would be his words and my thoughts his thoughts and that I'd not be a stumbling block but instead his mouthpiece. Would you pray that right now with me in one accord? Now I'm just going to pray for us and Father, thank you for the prayers of your people. It is the work. And I thank you that you hear our cries and that you answer, especially when they line up with your will. We know tonight your will is to preach your word with clarity and for us to hear it and be transformed by it. 
So now we sit down in our chairs with expectation, and we ask it all together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. <clears throat> Thank you for joining me in that prayer, and I hope you understand that that's not just something we do as an order of service or on the bulletin somewhere. Um, it's the most critical thing we can do before we approach this hour where the task of preaching and receiving are two impossible things unless God does it. So thank you for uh, joining your heart with mine and asking God to help us. Okay, rewind back to the beginning here in verse number 9. <clears throat> what is the main idea? More than good intentions. What is the main idea? Living the mission requires action. Would you just write that down really quickly? Living the mission requires action. There's going to be some activity required of me and you as we walk the journey, as we live the journey, as we hear what he says and the spirit empowers. Uh, it's going to take some action. If we just all gather in here week in and week out and we're stirred in emotion and we say we know there's a mission and we know without a shadow of a doubt we've been called to a mission, uh, we, and, but we just all we ever do is just keep gathering. Uh, I'm just going to tell you something. The mission is not going to be completed by me and you. So we need more than good intentions. We need some action, okay? So what is the main idea? Living the mission requires action. Holy Spirit is the help for the mission. That's this morning's main idea. And now we say living the mission requires action. Roman numeral one, as we look at this passage, specifically 11 through, uh, well, 9 through 11 is where we're going to kind of just focus for a moment, all right? Let me direct your attention back and just sort of remind you, first of all, imagine verse number nine. So we talked this morning a little bit about the roller coaster of emotions that these guys and gals have been through. Uh, they've watched him do all kinds of things. They've fallen in love with him. Uh, they enjoyed his company. They, they, they watched him heal. Demons were, 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 were defeated. And he, I mean, just, there's nobody ever been like Jesus in their life before. And now they're, they, they, he's come back. And so don't you know they were so thrilled when he was resurrected and he spent 40 days with them, you know, and, and how excited they were to have him. Uh, but then now it's time for him to go. And, and I can just imagine me uh, being a little bit sad that day. Can anybody else in the room uh, say you might have been a little bit sad to see Jesus leave? I, matter of fact, um, I can be a little bit childish. Can you believe that? Childlike. I thought Tina was going to amen over there. Uh, I could see myself grabbing his feet and hanging on. You know what I mean? Like, hang on, wait, 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 wait. Don't go, don't go, don't go. Let's have one more cup of coffee. Let's just have one more cup of coffee. Um, but, but you'll remember as we find in one of the Gospels, in, I believe it's Luke's Gospel, it talks about the ascension. He says to them, don't cling to me. I believe he said that because I believe they were like me. I believe they were going to hang on. I'd have held on to him. I'd have said, if you're going, I'm going. Uh, I want to be where you are. And, and so what happens next is uh, he ascends in this cloud, and, he, and he's getting small. Can you just imagine, like, how amazing? They have seen some stuff, hadn't they? I mean, they had literally seen some amazing stuff, and now, and now here he goes, and he's just getting smaller. You know, imagine us in the room, if we were all there, all of us were there, all of us in the room, imagine if we were there. Imagine as he's getting a little smaller, what would have some of our conversations have been? Most likely, we'd have been like the disciples. We don't hear that they said anything. It probably would have taken us aback in such a way that we wouldn't know what to say. God ever leave you speechless? How much more so have you watched him just going away in the cloud? He's getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and all of a sudden, you can't see him anymore. So, verse number 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men, we know these to be angels, stood by them in white apparel. Now, remember, as the ladies came to the tomb, they also were some angels, and the angels said to them, if you remember, uh, and by the way, angels are created angels. I'll take every opportunity I can to dispel the myth that one day you're going to get your angel wings. 
All right, angels are created angels specifically with purpose and design by a father who knows all things. You and I, on the other hand, were created in his image. Different than angels, altogether different. Never going to be an angel. Matter of fact, going to become more than the angels because when we die through death or the rapture, we will become just like Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 2. Okay? So these angels designed by God on mission, their mission was to come and deliver some news. Remember at the tomb when the ladies came to anoint his body with spices? They got scolded a little bit just like these guys. And the scolding that the ladies received, do you remember what it was? Why did Somebody said over here. Why, what are you looking here for? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Uh, do you see the little bit of a rebuke in that? Uh, they didn't say, oh, it's so good to see you ladies. We're so glad that you came to the tomb. And let me now tell you where Jesus is. No, no. They said, what are you doing looking for the living, uh, the de- yeah, the living among the dead? What are you doing at a tomb searching for the risen king? Now, that's a little bit of a rebuke. But now we see another little rebuke, don't we? All right. So uh, he says, and they steadfastly toward heaven. Uh, as he went up, the, 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 the disciples did, behold, two men stood by them. And this is what they said in verse 11. Who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Do you hear the question? Why, first, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, now the messengers, a little rebuke. Why are you standing here considering, pondering, uh, uh, um, intending? Why, why are you still standing here? There's a mission out ahead of you. There's a mission. And you've been called to it. And you're going to be gifted for it. So why are you standing here doing nothing? I want to ask you a question tonight. Why are you standing here doing nothing with all that you have heard and seen about this Savior, Messiah, we call Jesus? Now, I want you to notice a few things about what happens here. Number one, I want you to see, and write this in your notes there. Number one, I want you to see that God uses less thans to accomplish his mission. You might ask the question, Pastor, where do you see that? Because uh, I don't see anywhere in this text that it says uh, God uses the less thans to accomplish his mission. Oh, it's found neatly in verse number 11 when he addresses his audience. He, He calls them, somebody help me, he calls them men of Galilee. Men of Galilee. Why did... Luke record that detail for Theophilus and then for the church of all ages to see uh, because men of Galilee were not men of renown. They They weren't known for their financial prowess. They weren't known for their wonderful inventions. As a matter of fact, uh, most of them were peasant farmers. And so of all people, of all time, for for them to say uh, to them, men of Galilee, we are reminded simply in addressing the audience that God is able to use the less thans to accomplish his mission. Now, let me tell you something. I'm thankful for that because I'm a less than. Now, if you want to look at the guys that, uh, that would qualify for the all-star team of God, let me tell you, I don't even fit on the page. When I look back uh, to all 17, over 17 years ago when, when Hickory Ridge was looking for a pastor and they had this, this fella right off that, still laying asphalt and sleeveless most of the time, tattooed on both shoulders, a lot of times smelling like diesel fuel, If you were to line up your category of potential pastoral candidates, can I tell you who most likely would have qualified least? You're looking at him. And so I I want to say to you that, 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 that what happens with many of us is we disqualify ourselves in our mind. We look at the mission and we say the mission of the kingdom is too big and too, and too holy and too special and righteous. And I've done too much or I've failed or I've just sort of been a less than or I've just sort of been average or less than average in my walk. And so we just sort of let that be an excuse to fade off into the backdrop. 
But what I want you to hear tonight is that God uses the less thans to accomplish his mission. He does that on purpose. He does that by design. He does it in order that the excellency, Paul said, would be not of man but of God. That we have this wonderful treasure in an earthen vessel so that people will see us accomplish things that are eternal and say, my goodness, there's no way they're living this mission unless they have a different power source. Oh, yeah, that's the helper. You know how I got him? I got him through Jesus Christ the Son. So uh, God uses the less thans to accomplish his mission, all right? Let me move on if I can to number two, and there are just uh, three of these. How about that? <clears throat> number two, uh, we are easily distracted from obedience. How many of you know that about me and you? Uh, I, I can say this about me, and I can't say this about you. I'm, I could leave off the from obedience, and I could just write, we are, I am easily distracted. Some of y'all know that about me, don't you? We can be talking, and something happened over there, and, man, I'm, I'm out. I'm gone. Uh, Dustin says it this way. He gone. I may still be standing in front of you, but in my mind's eye, I'm already participating in, in yeah, anyway. Uh, but I believe all of us are really easily distracted from the mission uh, that God has called us to, very easily. Uh, matter of fact, I think sometimes good things distract us from the mission. You know, like new campers. You all know what I'm talking about? New campers, new deer camp, new boat. Oh, I could put a whole lot of things in there. Some new hobby, some new thing, some new shiny something that's so temporary. But, boy, we can so easily dive into that thing with all that we are and leave the mission that we've been called to behind. All of which, so, I'm telling you, this happens so easy. So listen to what they are doing here. Now, now he says, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, they went up. And here's what he, as he addresses them in verse 11, we learn that he can use the less than men of Galilee. But then he poses a question. It's a question of rebuke. Why do you stand gazing? Don't you love that word? Uh, gazing up into heaven. Now, gazing. You ever notice somebody uh, when you're talking to them but, and they're looking, but they're, not, they're looking through you somewhere? You, you know what I'm talking about? Um, they, they, it's, I call it the thousand-yard stare. Uh, you can be right in front of them, and, man, I'm telling you, they're they are so far out there somewhere. They, they're no more in the conversation. And I want you to think about these men, these, these, these disciples, this group of people, as they are watching him go up, their minds are going 1,000 miles an hour. And, and, and rightfully so. I mean, we, that makes sense. First of all, I'm thinking, if it's me, I'm thinking, this guy's floating. I mean, think about it now. The first six inches, when the guy standing beside you is, is this high off the ground, that's going to mess you up. You're going to have to process some things, some physics. The fact that gravity is working on everybody except this guy. And the next thing is, I'm wondering, what should I do? <laughs> should I run? Should I grab a hold to him? Wait a minute. He said, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me. So what should I do? And I, I'm, I know that their minds were going... And, and I'm certain that there was a part of their mind that's like me and you when we see somebody that we love is nearing the last days of their life. We begin to rehearse, don't we? All the wonderful memories, all the wonderful times, because they're leaving, in effect. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? They're leaving. They're not yet gone, but they're leaving. Doctors are, now I know only God knows the timing, but a lot of times, you know, with hospice and things like that, you, you know the ending is coming near. And so you can't help, but you ever find yourself at the bedside of a loved one and just gaze at them? You're just thinking about, you're thinking about all the great memories and all the things that you did together and all the, and I know, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt, those guys, those late, they were, they were thinking about all they had seen him do. 
and how he had addressed them individually and how he had talked to them. And I'm certain that Peter must have remembered what it was like to have Jesus look him in the eyes and restore him and call him off there, give him some fish and tell him, now I still have a mission for you. Do love me good. Love me, love me, love me. All right, great. Here, I still have a mission for you. And, and I'm certain that they were thinking about uh, times when, um, when, when, when Peter cut off Malchus's ear in the garden, he probably was thinking about, man, th- this guy loved Malchus so much. He put his ear back on, you know, the guy that was coming to arrest him, part of the team that was going to have him crucified. I'm, I'm certain their minds were flooded. So, so what happens when you do that? You don't talk a lot. You just ponder. You know what I'm talking about? You just rehearse in your mind. And I'm certain that they were doing that as they're watching him. So all kind of things are going on in their mind. I, I, would, even, I would even challenge you to, to, to think this way this evening. Um, I don't think there would have been a, a negative thought in their mind. I don't think they're, if, if anything, they didn't want him to go. Uh, if anything, they wanted him to stay with them. Um, but I don't think any of them were mad. None, no, no negativity there. And yet, and yet, good intentions, good intentions were not good enough. Uh, you and I, if we could have heard what was in their head, if we were watching a movie, you know sometimes when you're watching a movie and the, and the guy or the gal is gazing at the loved one that's dying or whatever's happening, but, but they, they're not moving their mouth, but they tell you their thoughts, they narrate their thoughts. If, if they would do that, if we saw that scene and they narrated the thoughts of the disciples, I believe in that moment we would have all been like, of course they're staying. We'd be wiping our you know, eyes, we'd get misty-eyed, and we'd be, of course they're, but not these, not these messengers, not these angels. What are y'all doing? What are y'all doing? You are not called to sit and soak. You weren't called to have good intentions. You weren't called to hear a bunch of wonderful teaching and see the example of it and be moved emotionally and then be paralyzed with just good intentions. Uh, You're not called to let your age be an excuse, season of life. Uh, None of those things are supposed to keep me and you from living the mission. And so they're pondering and they're looking and they're gazing and they are corrected (laughs) by God himself through his messengers And the messengers of God say to them, what are you doing standing here gazing? And I sometimes want to ask some of you, what are you doing sitting here soaking, hearing the truth of his word, seeing the Spirit's activity in lives all around you, unexplainable phenomenon of healing marriages and setting captives free, and you just keep coming and sitting and soaking. And I want to just say, hey, stop gazing. I know you're pondering. I know you're not just thinking negative. I, don't, I know that you're not just saying, I'm not going to participate. It's just that sometimes we get caught up in everything that's going on around us, and we just sit and gaze. And I want to promise you something tonight. I want to promise you that the activity of God that sometimes catches your attention in such a way that you sort of just ponder it and stand in awe was not given by God to you. He didn't let you see it or participate in it so that you would just sit and gaze at it. He, he allowed those things to happen. He, he strategically places miracles and movements in your life so that the Spirit of God and the work of God and the activity of God spurs you on to live the mission, not to sit and gaze. So uh, he, I want to say that we are easily distracted. Would you agree with me, somebody, amen? We have a tendency. Now, I would be certain that they are probably amazed. Some of it, I could see myself going, that is awesome. He's floating, you know? And I would say this about me and you. We have a tendency to worship the experience or the mountaintop, you know. Um, I've heard Gerald talk about how creation sometimes stirs our affections, but, but oftentimes our affections are stirred for creation rather than the creator. And we have a tendency to get distracted there and, 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 and misunderstand why God has put his glory on display in creation. It's to motivate me and you to live the mission. 
oh, I wish I could say tonight everything in my heart about this being distracted from obedience. But let me just kind of conclude by saying this one thing. Instead of worshiping God through a consistent obedience, we have a tendency to worship all kinds of stuff like miracles or creation or Garth Brooks. And we miss out on that our lives are supposed to be lived out as an act of worship through the mission. You see, your greatest expression of worship is not your singing in praise time. Your greatest expression of worship is your living through obedience, the mission God has gifted you and helped you to live. Oh, that's good news tonight. Let me move on to number three if I can because we're going to spend a little time here. And you guys, I don't want you to be late for something, you know. Uh, number three, number three, we must live with urgency. This is what we're learning from this little brief passage tonight. One, we said God uses the who? Less thans, and he uses them to accomplish his mission. That's good news for me and you. <clears throat> Second, we said we are easily, somebody help me, distracted from obedience. Anything can distract us. Number three, we must live with urgency. Where do you see that, preacher? Well, hang on, I'm about to read it for you, all right? Still in verse number 11. Who also said, these messengers, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, not another Jesus, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. <clears throat> here's, here's what he's saying to him. He's coming back. And because he's coming back, you need to be busy. Uh, you need to be the virgins that are in Jesus' uh, parable of the virgins that have the oil in the lamp that are prepared and are working and are serving and are drawing near to God because he's coming back and he's coming back soon. And, and it could be any moment now. And, you, and listen, you and I don't want to, we do not want to be found when he returns gazing at the activity of God, gazing at the truth that has the power to transform who we are. We don't want to be found that way, just going to church. We want to be found empowered by the Spirit living the mission. Would you agree with that statement? Amen. I don't know about you, but when he returns, I want to be following the Spirit of God into the mission, and that's how I want to be found when he returns. Now, I want to talk for just a minute tonight about, about when is it that they're referring to. In other words, <clears throat> which, what, is, what is the angel talking about? What are the angels talking about? That he's going to come back one day in the same manner, all right? So tonight, quickly in closing, I'm going to identify two times, two, two times that is oftentimes referred to as the parousia, parousia, which means the coming. It's a Greek word used oftentimes. Paul used it about Timothy. Timothy's coming until so-and-so is coming. That's what the word means, all right? Now, when in that is the coming of the Lord, it's, it's actually the New Testament used to refer to two different things, okay? Y'all with me? I hope you got your thinking cap on. We're about to learn something, and you're going to love this. I know you are. Well, if you're not, I am. I'm going to love teaching it right now. So, all right, when is the coming of the Lord? What is he talking about? What does he mean one of these days he's coming back? How many of you know the word rapture is not in your Bible? Let me look at you. All right, I'm not going to ask by a show of hands because I'm not into embarrassing anybody. But let me just tell you, the word rapture is not found in your Bible. So what in the world is he talking about? Okay, I'm going to talk about two things. Number one, I want to talk for just a minute about the glorious appearing. Now, this is what I title it because uh, this rapture event, this glorious appearing event, uh, Jesus is not going to actually come down to earth. He's going to come to us, but he's going to appear in the clouds, and we're going to go to him. Does that make sense to you? Give me a little head nod so I know you're tracking with me. 
Okay, no, there's just three of us in here. All right, one more time. This is yes, and this is no. Okay, all right. And this is I'm writing as fast as I can. You talk too fast. Uh, all right, here we go. Uh, so uh, let's talk for a minute about what are we calling it? Number one, glorious appearing. All right, what do they mean he's coming back one day? All right, what, is it, what do they mean that one day in the same manner he's coming back? All right. Let me give you some verses, and there are other places in the Scripture, but I'm just going to give you, I mean, I'm not going to get expansive in this, but I'm going to give you enough that you understand it, you can go with it, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. How many of you have ever heard the term rapture? Raise your hand if you've ever heard the term rapture before. All right, how many of you could, would be honest enough or open enough, and you don't have to, would say that you didn't realize that that word was not in the Bible, slip your hand if you didn't realize. Okay, great, awesome, awesome, okay. So then, doesn't it, doesn't it make you wonder, like, where does that come from? Like, why would, why would they talk about a rapture if that word is not in the Bible? And so I'm glad you asked. And I'm about to show you, okay? First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13. Put your eyes on it with me. I think it's going to be on the overhead, yes? Give me a little head nod from back in the back. Yes, all right, here we go, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who fall asleep. He's talking about people who have already died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Christian, we, are, we do have sorrow in our lives. We do mourn, but we don't mourn with those who don't have any hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the, here it is, coming of the Lord. Circle that if you write in your Bible, underline that, the coming of the Lord. Will by no means precede those who are asleep, those who've already died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. I can't wait to hear that blast. Hope it's in my lifetime. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So their soul is already with the Lord. Paul's already said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And by the way, who you are, who you are is not a body that has a spirit. No, no. You are a spirit that temporarily has a body, all right, a body that is affected by sin, a body not fit for heaven, a body that the moment you were conceived in your mother's womb was already dying. How about that? Little heartbeat, little drum, faint drummer's heartbeat, drum roll to the day you die, all right? And so here's what happens. He says, um, he says he'll come down, he's going to come down, and the dead in Christ is going to rise first, so the soul's already in heaven. Uh, their body's going to be raised up from the dead. Now, I've told you before, I can't wait to see that. I hope I'm here just to see that. Because I'm kind of weird, and I'll be like, did y'all see that? I mean, think about the ones that have been dead for a 1,000 years. They're a pile of dust. How's God going to do that? I don't know. He's God. And you can't put that to a formula, and I know your mind can't wrap around it. Neither can mine. That's why I want to see it. But I believe it. And so somebody asked me one time, well, what about cremation? Well, there's no verses in the Bible that are against cremation. Take a deep breath. Okay. And somebody said to me, well, then, preacher, what do you mean? I said, well, if I'm in the ground a 1,000 years before his return or I'm cremated in just a few minutes, either way, I turn to dust. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Don't matter if it's fast or slow. And, well, what if we sprinkle that? Boy, you ought to hear the scenarios. People ask, what if we sprinkle this and that? I said, well, you think God's going to have a hard time putting the pieces together? Come on, he's God. So whatever he does is going to be supernatural. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah. And so he says the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And, and that's not the end. So then, so then the question then to, to his audience in 1 Thessalonians would be, all right, what about those of us who are alive when the trumpet blasts and get to see all that cool stuff? What about us? All right. And he said they'll be first and then, and then us. What will happen to us? All right. So let's read. Uh, he goes on to say, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain, now here's a phrase I want you to circle and underline in your Bible, shall be called, uh, now look, y'all said that like you're sad. 
I don't know about you, but when God catches me up, I'm going to, listen, I'm happy about that. So let me read that again. Are y'all help me? Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up. The, the word literally means snatched away. Now, the Greek word here is the word harpezo. It means to snatch something away unexpectedly, quickly, hurriedly. That's where you get the English word rapture. What does rapture mean? To be snatched up and called away. What's the word harpezo mean? To be snatched up and called away. Is anybody tracking with me tonight? But now some of y'all were like mad at me because I was telling you that rapture wasn't in the Bible and, and you're getting angry with me. But now, now you have some knowledge, right? And knowledge will help you not perish. Vision of, of the, the vision shaped by God's word will help you in the journey. So uh, here's what I want you to kind of conclude. So then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord, y'all help me, in the air. How about that? I'm going to be high-fiving y'all. I, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm just being, I thought about this. You probably hadn't thought about it. I thought about it. I'm going to be high-fiving. I'm going to see if I can do somersaults, you know, on the way up. Uh, gravity will have no power on me anymore. Uh, matter of fact, he says that we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Another place Paul says we'll be changed. We'll, our bodies will be fit for heaven. So we won't have to go through the death process. We'll go through a transformation, a glorification that will happen instantaneously. He says the twinkling of an eye, which literally translates the beginning of a blink. Do you know the fastest movement that your body does? The blink. The complete blink. Now I'm talking about start to finish. I'm not talking about the beginning. I'm talking about start to finish, like an eighth of a second. The beginning of that, the twinkling of the very beginning of that process is how fast we're going to be changed by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and fit for heaven. Hallelujah. No more back pain. Somebody ought to shout glory. No more diabetes. Hallelujah. Listen, you won't have to watch your sugar intake. I want you to understand there will be no more tumors and cancer. There will be no more IVs. There will be no need for a medical profession or practicing medicine. I want you to understand there's coming a day in time when he's going to reverse the curse fully, fully on us um, as we are found in these glorified bodies. All right, and he says, and thus we shall always, this is what I love, and thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. Is that comforting to you? That comforts me. I don't have to worry about what happens next. Uh, he's going to do that. And listen, now, let me pause right here and point back. Now, what's, what's going on? These angels are saying, this is coming. So you dare not rest on your laurels. You dare not stand gazing. This is coming. And because this great thing is coming, you ought to be fully invested and on fire and living the mission empowered by the Spirit of God. It's coming. And you and I don't want to be found tiddling away our lives with the temporary things that we so easily are enamored with. Now, the second area of coming I want to talk to you about. So now, listen, we, we did these in order of, of events, how they're going to happen, okay? So Harpezo, the rapture. Now, now you might want to, some of you are like, okay, well, I was wondering if you were going to talk about premillennial or, or if you, what, if you're, what do you believe? I believe in pre. If you want to ask me about that, we can sit down and talk about it. I love talking about it. I'm not going to be ugly with you or rough you up or anything. Uh, and I, matter of fact, it's not even a hill I'll die on. I have uh, very intelligent pastoral friends who, who, who have studied, and, and they can defend their position as I can defend my position. And let me just say to you this. Either way, either way, I'm not, it's not a hill I'm willing to die on or even to be mean to you about because either way, he He's coming back, amen, and he's going to snatch us away where it, whenever it is, and until then, he's going to sustain me and you, and we just have to focus not on when, if it's before, middle, or after. We've got to focus on living the mission, living the mission because it's coming, all right? Number two, the second coming. 
Now, notice I didn't call that one the second coming, even though he's coming in the air. But I just, for me, it's easier to remember that as the glorious appearing. Does that make sense to anybody? Does that help you keep that in your mind, separated from the two? Yeah, glorious appearing. He's going to appear in the clouds, and then all that wonderful things are going to happen. All right, now let's talk about the second coming. Now, before I read this passage, we're going to read Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 16. But before we do, I want everybody to look up at me for just a minute. When we think about the first coming, when Jesus came wrapped in flesh as the God-man, uh, would, you, would you agree with me that it was, what, what, now I'm not talking about the virgin birth and, and God becoming a man. I'm talking about as far as what the human eyes could see, it wasn't very spectacular. Isn't it, y'all, y'all tracking with me? I mean, if we didn't know the backstory, if, if we didn't know that, that Gabriel had visited, you know, Mary and, and, and Joseph and said, you're about to have God's son, we didn't know all that. We were just in the town, and we saw this couple have a baby, you know, and they named him Jesus. I, it wasn't, there weren't fireworks. Now, the shepherds had a little different perspective. They got some fireworks, some heavenly fireworks, when the angels and the hosts of angels come and visit them in the fields, but, but, but everybody else didn't see that. So me and you are just some casual folk in town, and so our eyes watched the coming of the Son of God, and we would say, we would say this, it was very unspectacular. It was, uh, matter of fact, we would say because it was in a cattle trough, we would say it was less than ordinary. I mean, the ordinary child, you understand, even in Jesus' day, wasn't born and laid in a, in a cattle trough. No. So we'd say it was less than spectacular, and then, and then as far as like a display of power, now I'm not talking about spiritually, I'm talking about what you can see with your eyes. The miracles of, of, of his life, absolutely spectacular, right? But what about how his life ended here in this life? Would you say it was spectacular? I'm not talking about the death. I'm talking about looking at him as a leader and, and, pow, and full of power. If you were just watching and you didn't believe and you didn't know this whole story and you're watching this, this man who was born in obscurity and he lived his life, you'd heard miracles, maybe you'd not seen them, but now you're seeing him go to the cross and you're thinking, okay, if that stuff is true, those people down there at his feet that are saying, if you're him, get off of there. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, that's, that's, that makes sense. Okay, let's see. He, well, he can't get himself down. And so you'd say, well, that wasn't very spectacular. I mean, he was supposed to be the guy, you know. And he can't even, I mean, he can't even keep himself from being crucified because you didn't know the whole story. Y'all with me? It would be less than spectacular. But I need to, and of course, we know, we know looking back, and we know spiritually it was more than spectacular. Matter of fact, the scripture says that he publicly embarrassed Satan on the cross when he died for me and you and rose again. But as far as the human eye could see, it was a little less than spectacular. But the next time, the next time that he comes to set up the millennial kingdom, the thousand years of peaceful reign here on the earth, let me tell you something. Spectacular is a pale word compared to what's going to happen. Now, I want you to, for just a minute, get it all lined up in your head, okay? We've, we've already had the rapture, the call away, the removal of the church, all right? We've had some other events to take place. And now, now he's coming to establish his kingdom here on the earth. Millennial means thousand, thousand-year peaceful, perfect reign here on earth, okay? Let's see how he ushers that in. Let's take a gander and see Is it look like a little baby wrapped in swaddling cloths in a cattle trough. All right, in an animal feeding trough. All right, y'all ready? Everybody got it kind of lined up in your mind? All right. <clears throat> Anybody have as much fun as I am? I love the Word of God. I love the people of God. And I, love you. I love the fact that you're here and you are in this thing. All right, now here we go. We're going to begin in verse number 11. Y'all there? 
Verse 11, it's on the overhead, I believe. Yes, here we go. Now, I saw heaven, what? Opened. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and, uh uh-oh. That doesn't sound like a little baby crying in a cattle trough, does it? His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Now, remember, crowns are representative of power and authority. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Boy, this doesn't sound like obscurity, doesn't it? Spectacular sounds a little pale, doesn't it? And his name is called the Word of God. According to John, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. Now, understand that the picture that you may be seeing right now is a literal sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. But let me help you to understand, again, there's symbolism here of the sword of the Spirit. Anybody know what the sword of the Spirit is? The Word of God. And his word will be like a a sword that brings judgment upon all of his enemies. There'll be no arguing or bickering. Nobody's going to stand up and say, well, I think women ought to be able to marry women. And I think, you know, it it doesn't really matter if we steal. And and all this nonsense that man's come up with, there'll be no standing up to the sword of his word. Uh, Judgment will come based upon his word and what people have done with him. Anybody think that's a spectacular appearing? Can you see heaven open it up in a white horse? What does that look like with a horse riding through the sky? And not just him, but, but the armies of heaven coming behind him. By the way, none of them need any weapons. And here he comes to execute judgment. A stark contrast to his first visit. Would you agree with me? And this is the promise of God and the promise of God, the prophecy of God, and it is just waiting to happen. At just the right time. Did you know it could be any day now that he comes for us, takes us away? And it could be not too long after that we'll see Jesus come back down to earth. Oh, I want you to think about it for just a moment. Now, out of his mouth, I want to return. Here we go. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with an rod of iron. He himself tread, listen to this wording here. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of wrath and wrath of Almighty God. This is Jesus. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. Here's the name. Can we say it out loud, all of you, like you mean it? King of kings and Lord of lords. Those angels said, he's coming. He's coming. Uh, there's a song we sing that says, uh, he's on his way. You know, he is. By the way, he is on his way. It's, uh, his timing is perfect and impeccable and his his timing is working itself out even while we tonight are sitting and listening and feeding on the word of God for the purpose of being empowered by the spirit and not being bogged down with good intentions but to go out of these walls and do what he said do live the mission live the mission so simply put tonight you and I we're the less thans you and I are like these 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 men of Galilee in that we have a tendency to get distracted have you what has distracted you from being on mission And instead of looking down and being beat up, are you willing to let go of it? 
Are you willing tonight to say, God, I'm, I radically want to let go of all of the trinkets, all the flashy bells and whistles, all the stuff this world has used to lure me away. And I want to fully commit myself to live the mission empowered by your spirit. I want to be a part of the ministries here. Next Sunday night, we're going to have uh, before you a buffet of ministries. Now, staff didn't notice yet, so Gerald, help me, help me pass that along. In my time with the Lord today, he spoke that to me. So we're going to do that. And we're going to have it laid out for you during preaching tomorrow, uh, Sunday night, and we're going to have it laid out in such a way that you will not be able to leave without knowing where your place needs to be. So we're going to have all kinds of ministries laid out before you, and, and we'll have a little word leading into that just to sort of set the tone of our heart. And then we'll have, we're going to just, I, I don't know exactly all the details, but you just make sure you're here. And, and I, I, I want to take every excuse from my flesh and your flesh that we will continue to live our lives just gazing at the activity of God, just amazed at what God's doing, you know, instead of being a part of what God's doing. That's what God desires. And that's what he wants me and you to do because any day now he's coming back. And so you and I ought to be faithful to the mission. Now, remember, we learned this morning we can't do it by trying harder. We'll only do it by drawing near. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Will you do that? I know I'm just as surprised as you that we're out of time. I feel like we were just getting started. <clears throat> as you just settle in for a moment, I want you just to listen for the Spirit of God for just a minute. And in this time, you might begin to ask him, God, what has got me gazing <clears throat> what is it, God, that's paralyzed me, kept me from living the mission? Lord, show it to me. Maybe it's disappointment for how life has worked out. Maybe it's confusion because you haven't seen a direction or really seen a platform to go and do what you're passionate about. Maybe it's because we've not put before you the different ministries so that you would know opportunities. But I want you just to ask God to show you, God, what is it that's had me full of good intentions but only hearing the call to mission and not living the call to mission? Just you and him, just talk to him, you and him. Just listen for him, talk to him. Pour your heart out to him tonight. I want to tell you why I'm so excited. A room this full on a Sunday night, with, if, 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 we, if we would, all of us, one at a time and therefore together, would commit our lives to living the mission by the power of the Spirit, we will, in fact, change the world. Not just Florence, not just Rankin County. We will, in fact change the world. Maybe you've spent time wondering, what is God's will for my life? That's what it is, to change the world through you. That's his will. <clears throat> now, the real question, the big question is, will you submit to it? You don't need to spend any more time wondering what the will of God is. You need to spend the time drawing near so that you can be empowered by the Spirit, fed by the Word, encouraged by the church to go do it. 
Now, you have, a, you, have, you have something laid before you tonight. You could, some of us could, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll sit here and we'll leave out of here gazing. And we'll think about next Sunday night. We'll say, oh, well, I'm going to wait till next Sunday night to live the mission. The rapture may come first. You, your heart may stop beating first. Did you know that? So, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying when you leave out of here, live the mission. Let the Spirit of God have His way in you and testify. This week, tonight, tomorrow, how many days it gives you. Live the mission. Testify. Lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. Feed on His Word each morning. And then go out in the world and tell people what Jesus has done for you. Tell your wife or your husband. Tell your children your grandchildren. Tell your co-workers. Tell your classmates. Tell your teachers. Tell somebody what Jesus has done. Stop being silent about the activity of God. Testify. Witnesses of no value unless they testify. Lean on the power of this. I can't, I can't, I can't. That's nonsense. I died. And now the Spirit of God is living in me. It's a matter of me surrendering to Him. So maybe tonight where you're sitting, that needs to be your prayer. God, help me surrender. God, help me surrender. You might just whisper that out loud where you are. God, help me surrender. How many of you like me would raise your hand and say, that's my prayer. That's my prayer tonight. God, help me surrender. Help me surrender. I want more of you. Help me surrender. I want to live the mission for your glory. Help me surrender. Help me surrender. If you're here tonight, you've never invited Jesus Christ to be Lord, I'll tell you there's no better time than right now. He stands ready, willing, and able to save you, to set you free, to forgive your sin, to give you purpose, and to call you to this mission. So, Father, I pray tonight, have your way. Gerald's making his way to the altar, and I'm going to be down there myself. And If you feel led to come pray, come pray. If you feel led to remain seated, remain seated and pray. If you need one of us to pray for you, and you don't feel like sharing all the details, you don't have to. You can just walk up and say, would you pray for me? And we'll just begin to pray. So, Father, I pray, have your way. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.